Support for the Laser Time Network is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, so join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Better yet, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code LASERTIME, one word, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with your code LASERTIME. Manscaped, your balls will thank you. Steven Seagal becomes the worst host in SNL history. Game of Thrones debuts on HBO and Tom Green makes a movie. This week on 302010. Very exciting week here, 302010, presented by the Laser Time Network. How y'all doing? You ready to travel back in the decades with me, Chris, and your my co-host, who, who is with me? Diana of the House Goodman, the first of her name, Queen of the Andals, the Roiner, and the First Men, Khaleesi the Great Grassy, the Unburnt, the Breaker of Chains, and the Mother of Podcasts. Woo! And it's me, Sarah, the Weakest Link. <laughs> Good joke, but not true. Uh, welcome to 302010, a journey through the decades. Very, very great week to be here because um, we stirred up a lot of interest in Steven Seagal and man, the guy the guy isn't stopping this week and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, really, if you don't know what the show is, we, we examine the world of mostly pop culture with a little bit of news of this very week across three decades. We'll be looking at April 16th to the 22nd. Yes, that covers 420 in 1991, uh, 2001, and 2011. So if this, if listen up and... You'll probably place what you were doing, who you were dating, who you were breaking up with. It's a really good way to figure out where you were through these media releases, even if you're not someone who keeps a Brett Kavanaugh-esque calendar. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for joining us. Got to thank right up the top our patrons. Patrons like our executive producer, Chris Otterman, uh, who's our executive producer this week, thanks to patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, again, there's some really great stuff. New, epi- new episode of 302010 Games. We dig even further into the games of the decade, including Chris Baker joining us to talk about a game he worked on, Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Um, but thank you so much for that, Chris Baker. But anyway, let's get into 302010, because this week, man, it's a fun It's a fun one. It's, it's filled with triumphs and tragedies, a lot of tragedies <laughs> for me, <laughs> especially when it comes to the movies of 1991, which is where we start. 1991 movies, Out for Justice is number one at the box office. Nobody is seeing anything else. And that includes... French movie Delicatessen. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? It's a post-apocalyptic cannibal comedy, uh-huh. sort of. I mean, it's basically a black comedy. Uh, it's the debut of Jean-Pierre Genet, which this all lines up because next week we get to talk about a way more popular movie of his City that of is Lost extremely Children? different in tone. No, no not City oh, of that's Lost way, Yeah, there's no... Yeah, okay. I don't know what it is. The cute romantic one. Oh! Oh, oh the charming one. Yes, Blink, the me. one that, like, I think might be the only French movie every girl in my dorm ended up seeing. Right. Um, Spoiler, it has a green cover, and you know it, Americans. You know it, <laughs> you know and it. you should watch it. But mm-hmm. Delicatessen... Yeah, I mean, I guess if the whole making meat pies thing in Sweeney Todd was like a black post-apocalyptic comedy Mm -hmm. where, you know, they keep 
this uh, apartment building, they keep like bringing in people to be like, could you be our handyman or something? And then they murder them and then they all eat them. And wackiness ensues when they decide like, oh, this guy's onto us. And also my daughter kind of likes him. And for such a bleak and weird movie, it ends up being like pretty funny. Like it is unpleasant looking so much of the time, <laughs> but it is really freaking distinctive. Like you look at one frame of Delicatessen and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah I've seen that. Kind of Terry yeah. Gilliam-ish that way, like Brazil, maybe. Yeah. I remember seeing that cover in my Blockbuster a bunch in the like foreign film section right. whenever I would wander in there. And always I was always very curious about it. But something about the cover just kind of made me feel ill at ease, which I, I yeah. feel that, like that's probably This to me is, is tied to Blockbuster as well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure – I just, I don't know. I, I just watched that last Blockbuster documentary, and it's still like, we can relax on this corporate nostalgia. Like, Blockbuster was kind of garbage. And, yeah, fuck them. And part of the reason was for just, like, totally, like, shortchanging foreign films, genre films, anything it didn't deem relevant, but for some reason had one copy of Delicatessen. And it was all <laughs> my friends and I could talk about for a long time, but we were at the the fucking mercy of Blockbuster's one copy with no notification system to call you when it's in. You just go there as much as you can and see if you can get the one copy on VHS they have of Delicatessen. And yeah. I remember after like a a year, a year of trying to get Delicatessen, we were like, let's see what this Netflix thing is about. And <laughs> and, and I, don't, I don't even think Delicatessen was on DVD yet. It was just like, it was just too much of that, of we don't wow. we don't want to watch it's great that you have the first season of South Park available 9000 times but there's other TV shows we can't see on DVD that are prohibitively expensive help us out Netflix and they did you got so mad at blockbuster that you took them down using Netflix. Yeah, a little bit. But it, the only interesting thing about the the most interesting thing about that documentary is how like Blockbuster should have survived uh, yep. very easily, but like everyone just sort of abandoned ship. It, sh- it should have survived and beat Netflix at its own game, but like yes, it, it's just it, mm-hmm. one one fork in the road. They went the wrong way down. But but yeah, and, and it's only weird because like. This would have been almost 10 years later because yep. I was an early Netflix adopter and I had no mm-hmm. idea this movie came out in 91. Yeah. Well, I mean, besides that, we had the lag between when things got released overseas. Sure. Like, so it's probably even it, older. <laughs> maybe a year. Mm-hmm. It'd take maybe a year if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's more like three or four years. It just takes a while to mm-hmm. finally get there. And I believe it's on Amazon now. You can just watch yeah, it. Yeah. So for me, and, and which I haven't done. Uh, but after this long chase, it's like it's almost like maybe I was <laughs> never meant to see this. But I, I, I watched City of Lost Children like a thousand times, so it's it's just very weird because I follow was mm-hmm. following this director for a while. And but yeah, Delicatessen still haven't seen it. But I, uh, you know, maybe I should have made a better point to this week. No, there was too many other interesting things to look at, such as Mortal Thoughts with Bruce Willis, Harvey Keitel. Glenn Headley and Demi Moore. Look, I warned you about those two. They're crazy. They're animals. Anything can happen with them. Something no one could forget. Somebody's talking. They ask questions like somebody knows something, like somebody said something. Something just doesn't sit right here. The night James was murdered, you said you told your husband everything. I didn't do anything. I think you're really caught in the middle now. You have to make a choice here. I made my choice. It's over. You think it's over? You knew what was happening. You let it happen. I cannot tell what's happening in Mortal Thoughts other than possibly are Demi Moore and Bruce Willis already together? Are they already a off-screen couple? 
They're already an off-screen couple. Okay. They have been for a couple of years. But in this, he plays her best friend's abusive husband, who is Mordored. Yes. And he's a real shit heel. He's a real piece of shit with like a really, really dumb goatee. Like it looks <laughs> yeah. like it's stuck on. Yes, it does. Like, it's like, no like, good. Like Spock's? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, actually worse than Spock's. I mean, it's like it's cut out of felt and we're in the darkest time long goatee. <laughs> It's so distracting. So distracting. Also distracting is Demi Moore's perm. Like if yeah. If any lady is a straight hair lady, it's Demi Moore. Why are they perming her? And besides the fact that it's like the late 80s, early 90s, and everyone's hair is crazy. Well, that's the I think I mean they're not actually from like Stanton Island or Long Island. I think they're from like North Jersey. But Mm -hmm. this whole movie just feels like uh working girls commit a murder because (laughs) they all have that giant Staten Island hair. Yeah. And the accents of, he's no good for you. You should leave him. I'm going to kill him. What are you going to do? Spit on this... your own floors? It's, it's yes. insane. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is no good, FYI. No. It's no, very, it very really stupid. <laughs> the characterizations are extremely one-dimensional. That Nobody does anything that makes any sense ever. Like, mm. nothing makes these people are the stu- either the stupidest people in the world or they want to go to prison. I don't know what is going on. But yeah, this is a terrible movie. Do not see it. <laughs> it really sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a bummer yeah, for the night. It's, it's pretty silly. But I, I mean, I, I do would... appreciate, yeah, the silliness of the, the giant hair and the yeah. accents. And then the like, and uh, I think we need to kill him because he knows too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that part's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, especially Glenn Headley in that yeah. role. It's weird, yeah, weird casting. The, the, the one Karma took from us from the cast. Like, it still shocks me that she's de- she's no longer with us. Oh yeah. wow, I always forget. Yeah, she well died at like sixty two, but still she looked a lot younger. And it seems like every every other person here was living way harder. So how how is she the one who's gone? Uh, mm. Never seems fair. I blame dirty rotten scoundrels for killing her. You do? She was never cut out. No, for that I mean life. not. No, not the movie. I mean, literally, Dirty oh, Rotten okay. Scoundrels probably yeah. killed her. Okay, we'll put up a police sketch tonight. Uh, Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Only way you can see it. <laughs> uh, it. But moving into television with a movie, the HBO movie, Paris Trout, with Ed Harris, Barbara Hershey, and Dennis, Ho- Dennis Hopper. Yep. I remember seeing this. I think this went to theaters overseas, mm-hmm. so I wasn't sure where to put it. But uh, Dennis Hopper plays just the worst person in the universe. Oh, again? He- I love this. Yeah. <laughs> He, but he's like cantankerous small town racist that everyone fucking loathes. And he just terrifies everyone around him for a good reason. And then finally, like, he might pay for his crimes. And he's like, me? And everyone's like, oh, fucking get rid of this guy already. Is this based on a true story? Did we talk about this in some other context before? Oh, no. It's not based on the one, the, uh, the oh. Brian Vanity TV movie okay. that was based on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. <laughs> the, the entire town just went, oh, yeah, that guy got murdered. Nobody <laughs> saw nothing. Nobody knows. He just got murdered. Nobody actually murdered him. Spider Man like, woke up dead. Yeah, in broad daylight in front of like a dozen people. Everyone yeah. was like, didn't see nothing. Has Dennis Hopper ever played a non evil or at least bad guy role? Yeah, I'm trying. There's, there's a movie out there Hoosiers? where he plays a kind dad. I'm trying to remember which movie okay. that is. He's somebody's kind dad. And in... oh, God, in True Romance. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he does use I mean, the N word a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty racist. <laughs> well, he was he was I mean, trying to get himself killed. Like... That scene's beautiful because he's trying to get himself killed before he spills any more information. So he uses yeah. the other guy's racism against him to get murdered to not be tortured. It's a great scene. <laughs> it's one of the greatest scenes ever. I don't think that puts him in the good guy column. He gave up his life to not give up his son. It's pretty dope. And Christopher Walken looks like even worse about it. A cantaloupe. That movie's great. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Paris Trout. (laughs) Yeah, no, Paris Trout. I mean, it's it's pretty good. But it's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, all the acting's really powerful. But in the end, you're just sort of like, well, I just spent time with terrible people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of terrible people. Oh, goodness. Yeah, we had a little while. I just just wanted to give you guys as much space as possible to discuss because we got SNL history here. Yeah, someone had brought up, because I think we teased it on a bonus time. Sam and I wanted to do a little podcast feature of our favorite worst person, Steven Seagal. But upon further research, he's a much, like, what did I write? He doesn't just suck. He's genuinely awful. And it's like (laughs) attached to like. Je- like actual crimes and human trafficking kind of shit. So like, I don't want to. Ma- I don't want to like pay someone to make art with his face. So he <laughs> sort of backed off on that because I do find him a fascinating individual, and he crosses over with one of my other most fascinating things in my world, SNL. He is he is the host of SNL and is one of the few people I think a uh, soft ban from the show, but also confirmed by everyone. Everyone always wants someone from SNL to talk shit about their time there. And usually people are very delicate with that. Nobody gives Steven Seagal that delicacy or they're like, no, he was the fucking worst. He went, he was really in love with himself, went around pissing people off. There's so many great stories in uh, Live from New York, the uh, SNL book, the oral history of SNL. Rob Snyder saying, um, I, Steven Seagal walked by, I just read, the, I just read the greatest script I've ever read in my whole life. And Rob's like, who wrote it? Me. And then walked away. <laughs> Like, just walking around doing shit like that, making people cry. I don't know if he was making people cry. I think he's, he's barely, that's the Chevy Chase did when he hosted, but was unfunny and uncooperative and everything he pitched was terrible. According to legend, he kept trying to pitch a sketch about a woman who was sexually assaulted and went into a therapy session and the psychiatrist doesn't believe her. And everyone's like, what is the joke here? And he kept reiterating. Therapy's like bullshit and stuff. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my! <laughs> it's, people did not mind spilling the tea about Ooh. Seagal on this episode to the point where two years later, in a great monologue from Nick Cage, he's he's exasperated and I'm gonna, Lord, I'm gonna be the worst host ever. And he's like, No, that would be Steven Seagal. So it's been said <laughs> out loud by Nor by by Lorne Michaels that. Steven Seagal is definitively the worst host in SNL history. Sorry, yeah. worse than Nancy Kerrigan, Paris Hilton. He is a bad Trump. guy. And, and Trump. Trump. Yeah, Trump. Well, it sounds very similar. This this episode has also been scrubbed from the airwaves. They are not proud mm-hmm. of it. No one likes it. Uh, ironically, there's like a sketch where he plays a Greenpeace action hero, which he would eventually do sort of an on deadly ground. Mm. Steven Seagal lifting material from SNL. But uh, Dana Carvey tells the story about making a Hans and Franz sketch. And Hans and Franz, as you guys all know, are Arnold obsessed. And here is Steven Seagal reacting very professionally to this fictional sketch with people who aren't real. 
And all of it was them making fun of Stephen. Like, right. Arnold is stronger than you. He could flick you with your little baby finger and you would fly across the room and land in your own baby poop. You know, it's all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Your little spindly arms. And so your buttocks are like marshmallows. You're lucky we don't have a campfire here. <laughs> and he's just reading his lines and not really reacting to it. Right. Then it gets on the show. It's picked. Then on Thursday, we're just on the soundstage rehearsing it. And we go through it with the cue cards. He reads his lines, very serious. Then he just walks off. He's like 50 feet away in the 8H, the studio. No one's around. I go, we got to start again. Kevin, I'll go see what's going on. So I went up to him. I said, Stephen, are you okay? And he didn't look at me. He's looking straight forward. He goes, quote, and I, this is a quote. I just wish Arnold was here so I could kick his fucking ass. He gets to be in a sketch with the most popular characters on SNL, and that is his only takeaway. <laughs> oh man, these fake people think I couldn't beat Arnold's ass. And then it's... they had to rewrite the sketch. Uh, <sighs> and I don't even know if it got on after that. I, I, again, I have this episode has been pulled. It didn't re- air in syndication. It's not on NBC's website or any of the SNL apps. It is not there. Like just an unspoken rule without, despite it not having like any blackface or otherwise offensive behavior for 2021, <laughs> the cast and crew hate it. And mostly because they hate him. <laughs> yes. Fascinating. Mm. Oh, man. I mean, just the fact, just his reaction to the Hans and Franz is also <laughs> like, uh, not only is he a bad person, but he's also very, very stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just like criminally stupid. Like, you don't have to. Arnold Schwarzenegger would accomplish what you're like oh you'll you'll never write a, even, you'll never write a sketch like, praising Arnold ever again like these guys are idiots who love Arnold that's the whole joke it, it's not like Hans and Franz are Arnold's children <laughs> that you'll like, <laughs> like embarrass their their dad in front of them maybe if I snap this Kevin Nealon guy the message will be out to Arnold <laughs> <laughs> Steven Seagal, just the genuine worst, and I still enjoyed watching out for justice. God damn. And he, Steven Seagal is the perfect example of, like, you can be an evil guy, but if you have a good sense of humor, fine, we'll put up with you. And you can be a yeah. dumb guy, but if you have a good sense of humor, we'll also put yeah, up that's, with you. I think that's, but that's, Bo, if you don't have either, then you're totally The secret bad. to Chris, Christopher Walken being beloved on SNL is that he was kind of bad, but he, he rolled with mm-hmm. it. And like, let himself be laughed at instead of with, mm-hmm. and became mm-hmm. a legend. You can be yeah. unfunny yep. and succeed on SNL, and yep. and walking did. I think there is a life lesson here, which is to don't trust anyone that doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a pretty good. I mean, I've always felt in my personal life, sense of humor is pretty much like the first thing I judge someone on yeah. as to whether or not we're going to be like, we're going to jibe well. And then of course the second one is whether or not they're attracted to Tony Soprano, as we all know, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. really the main two things. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to tell you, there was, there was a really bad day. I think it was like late 2017 where now I've, I've never liked Trump as a person. Mm-hmm. And it suddenly it hit me. I've never seen him laugh. Yeah. Like really laugh. And I realized, oh my God, we're all doomed. And he seems to only experience joy through tearing someone else down. Yeah. That's his idea. The closest he gets to happiness is sadism. (laughs) (laughs) No. And I went looking like there's got to be some time. I mean, like even when he got roasted, if someone making a joke about a third person, maybe like he left. No, he sort of smiles and nods. Mm -hmm. But I've never seen that man belly laugh. Same with Steven Seagal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere somewhere out there, I have an awkward. 
an awkward video with him. I, I couldn't believe it. We were at E3, the annual you know video game Super Bowl thing, and I'm, I'm at the the second story of Sony's booth, and I'm like, there is no way, no way that's Steven Seagal. And our camera guy's like, that is completely Steven Seagal and we're one of like we are two of four people in this area he's like I don't have the fucking camera I'm like look at the fucking camera we're gonna talk to Steven Seagal and <laughs> Steven Seagal can see us like moving he's still got the the eyes of a shark he knows we're up to something so he like calls his entourage up the stairs and has and escorts himself out of the building because he saw us we were preparing to film him it was like right before our there were decent cameras in our phones but I have stood in the, the presence of the uh, legendary kimono one and he, mm. he, so it sounds like you made him run away and therefore you beat him. Yeah. You think of that, Steven? You walked away from a fight. Yeah. yeah. Who's the vagina now? <laughs> and also, like, listen to how Dana Carvey describes that story. It is exactly the read he gives the senators of the blood bank line, staring off into nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Oh, I uh. love hating Steven Seagal. It really, God, it motivates me. I saw last week on our, our Facebook group, someone suggesting their episode of Behind the Bastards about him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I must, I mean, I love that podcast in general, but that episode is, considering he usually talks about, you know, the protocols of the elders of Zion. <laughs> He's talking about Steven Seagal. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Or or like I've, we were doing research on this before that episode came out. He leaned into it a little more that like, if you don't remember the 30, 2010 from a few years ago, we're talking like, how did Steven Seagal get this job? How did he go from being a producer and main title movie star without any experience on any movie set? And, And some of it is he's the martial arts instructor for an executive there, but there's, other rumors that the mafia is involved, <laughs> and, it, it, yeah. and I can't I can't find any more than is in that episode as as far as evidence goes. But it was the early or the mid '80s, so who fucking knows? And it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense for a guy who's not jacked, who just claims to be good at martial arts, to get a Warner Brothers movie career overnight. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, hmm. something weird is up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Seagal, baby, he's the he's the he's the absolute best of the worst he really is he's the best worst person and no games to speak of but again on the video game show on patreon.com slash laser time with mr diana goodman and maddie allen we will dig further into like the arcade stuff ports anything worth mentioning but we'll jump right to music of 1991 into the new releases peggy suicide by julian cope is out as is swift work by the fall kinky by uh hoodoo gurus and power of love by Oh, God, Luther Vandross. Wow. That was not a oh. Luther Vandross impression. I, I know he died a big man. <laughs> that was a big album, though. Yeah? That was, yeah, oh, huge. Yeah. Really big. Uh, a lot yeah. of people, I believe a lot of people exist now because of that album. <laughs> a lot of Bones on music. <laughs> if you're going to turn 30 in nine months to the day, <laughs> man, yeah. you're welcome. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> But that is not number one this week. It's You're in Love by Wilson Phillips, um, number one this week. Is this another, like, lady charge, hang Uh, in there, let's rub shoulder blades in this music video? Uh, You're in Love, my favorite song about water sports. Oh, I thought you were going to make a pee-pee joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you did. (laughs) Oh, you did. Oh, God, I'm a dummy. (laughs) I mean, I think they probably don't. Just don't do the contraction. Just make it you are in love. You are At in least love. for or the just title. In love. <laughs> yes. In love. <laughs> you you obviously don't care if another song has this title, so let's let's just do it. But yeah. You're in Love by Wilson Phillips is number one. 
and uh, we will shake off 1991 uh, with that song. We will be right back with a brand new bladder. Stay there. Oh, Chris. Oh, Matt. People might not know this about us, but we are two hairy, ape-like human beings. We just got a lot of hair. Mm-hmm. Antista, listen to that name. I am a little baby gorilla. And that means we've especially got a lot of hair down there. But they also don't know, I personally love a freshly shorn scrotum. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a huge proponent of of manscaping and there is no reason not to do it it is wonderfully hygienic you can get way more days out of your underwear your partner will thank you and once again if you can trim back the tree line it makes it look like you own more property well sure but here's the thing it can be kind of a harrowing experience trimming the hair down there there's bobs and bits and just there's too much that could go wrong leading to some unsightly nicks or even a medical emergency. Many a time I thought I had things under control when they quickly headed south while I was trimming down south. And let me tell you, Chris, <laughs> it hurts. It not only hurts not to be indelicate, but blood doesn't clot on some of those malleable pieces of flesh very well. Right? It just keeps bleeding. That's why I was so excited when our latest sponsor, Manscaped, reached out to us. In fact, I was downright giddy. You see me wearing the Manscaped shirt right now. I'm like a walking mm-hmm. billboard for Manscaped. But... I would be even if I took this shirt off because I recently did a little manscaping of my own using their patented Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created with the Lawnmower 3.0. That's way more than Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule to become an expert. These guys are like savants <laughs> of ball trimming, Chris. Yes, I have tried every technique. I've been manscaping for 20 years. The best thing I've been able to come up with before Manscaped, before a tool expressly crafted uh, for, you know, trimming back the nether regions, was either a lighter or a (laughs) razor that had been so dulled it would cut me less. So I would use a razor on my face for like five months just to get it dull enough to not cut my genitals in half. I'm I'm not kidding. I've been dying for this product for a long time. That is going to just put you in a bad place. But Manscapes, their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. None of that dull blade lighter business you're talking about. I don't even know what you're doing there. That, that sounds dangerous. That was mostly for the chest hair, but like Manscaped, yeah, dude, you can use this on your chest hair too. Sure. By the way, when I tell you this is a premium trimmer, I mean premium. The battery life can last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. That is a lot of bushwhacking a 90 minute shave session <laughs> yeah that is like a like a george the animal steel level of <laughs> manscapery but but it should never take any of us that long and I, i'm telling you they probably tested it on hairy people like me well chris they have waterproof technology that even <gasps> allows you to groom in the shower forget shower wow. beers we're all about them shower balls, baby. Now, my girl likes to watch me do this in the rain. It's a really weird <laughs> fetish cruise. <laughs> One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. I mean, we all need as much light as we can get when trimming the hair down there. 
That is not something you want to do blindly. Trust me on that one. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Yeah, there we go. There we go. And let's not forget about the charging stand, Chris. You got to show off your mower loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. That's right. USB. You can literally plug this bad boy in at your computer workstation, go wow. to town on your lunch break. Now, look, I'm not saying do this when we're all back in the office. This is definitely kind of a work-from-home-only situation, but who's going to know? Sometimes, for me, it's like a cutting the goatee on a basset hound. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be lifted up first. <laughs> this is a private endeavor. If you're listening to Chris and I talk about this right now, we want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code LASERTIME at manscaped.com. So go to manscaped.com, get 20% off and free shipping with the code LASERTIME. That's 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com with the code LASERTIME. Manscaped, your Your balls balls will thank you. Put on your Stetsons. Yeah, that ain't nothing about you. That The song, <laughs> Ain't Nothing About You by Brooks. Ain't and nothing about you. Ain't nothing about you. What, am I not saying it right? My pal. Ain't nothing about you that don't <laughs> do something for me. By Brooks and Deer off of Steers and Stripes. Come on. Uh, Brooks and Dunn off of Steers and Stripes. I know. Steers and Stripes. I had to, I mean, that title. It's, I love that. <laughs> Steers and Stripes is the best title. It, could it be more perfect for these guys? Oh, but, yeah. uh, oh, but it's more poppy than I was expecting. I was like, oh, oh yeah. it's not, there's, I mean, there's only a couple bits of music out this week just because they're all getting out of the way for one of them. But I listened to this and I'm like, wow, this is way poppier than I was expecting from them. No, I, I, I mean, it's country crossover time. 2001, there was a lot of it. So uh, I, I, I love up, this I like it. I, grew I like up, it. I grew up yeah. in North Florida, so like I am more than a little familiar with Brooks and Dunn. They are huge in that world oh, and yes. have been for many, many years. Never heard this song before, but it's 2001 and it may as well be 1988 because their songs sound exactly the same across the decades. Uh, but Ain't Nothing About You, it's out this week. As is um, Emma Emma Buttons, am I a girl like a girl like me, a girl like my? Oh, that's probably a girl like girl me. like me. Oh, oh, it's I was it's, too it's fast. Baby Spice's solo debut. Look yeah, at that all for you by Janet Jackson. We talked about that last week. Love that song. All for you by Janet Jackson is number one. As yeah, it but now the be. album's out and everyone's like, mm, we can wait a week. Yeah, <laughs> no one wants to go up against a Jackson album at this point. Pretty uh, much, yeah. Nah. Welcome to 2001, once again, April 16th to the 22nd of 2001. Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, A, goes to The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon. Am I saying that right? Chabon. Chabon. Pulitzer Prize for Drama goes to Proof uh, by David Auburn. Uh, Cavalier and Clay, I'm Mm. assuming Sarah is going to recommend I read it for the 9,000th time. Not necessarily you, Sarah, but like everyone. Everyone. No, I think it's been 9,000 just from me, probably. I bring it up like twice a year that you really need to read it. But I mean, Cavalier and Clay is, I think, probably my most recommended book, the book that I've recommended to the most people, I Mm. think, just because it's got something for everyone. Yeah. And uh, some of it's like a less embarrassing Ready Player One referential (laughs) (laughs) tales of nerddom. 
Yeah. And yeah, definitely. That I hear. Uh, that I hear, but I have not read it yet. But the movies I'm definitely watching this week, even though, oh my God, was I watching the movies this week. Holy Lord. <laughs> I don't know how long we're going to go on this one, but it might be a while. Uh, Bridget Jones' Diary is number one at the box office. We talked about that last week. I definitely recommend listening to it. I, it's one of the more fun conversations I've ever been a part of. A uh, <laughs> movie that's a total mystery to me. Uh, the Claim is out this week with Peter Milan, Mila Jovich, Wes Bentley, Natasha Kinski, Sarah Pauli, and Julian Richings. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm guessing this isn't the one that you were talking about, the Western adaptation of The Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy? Huh? <laughs> what, what, what happened here? My, my, brain went, my brain went into standby mode. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a, a Michael Winterbottom joint, which means it's going to be like kind of grim and serious. And mm -hmm. it's about this mining town in like the 1860s. And this guy is like super in charge of everything. And then these other people come to town. It turns out, oh, there's a dark secret and, and the railroad's coming. And yeah, it's supposed to be okay if you like dark ass suburban westerns. I do, mm. but I didn't get around to it. Sorry. And what about the center of the world with Peter Sarsgaard and Molly Parker, a movie I've never heard of? This also sounds grim as fuck, where <laughs> it's like the really horrible version of Pretty Woman. What? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> where, like, he's a rich guy and he hires a sex worker to, you know, be his companion for like a week. And there's limits to like what kind of sex stuff that she will do. But he falls in love with her and she's like, I was just in it for the money. And then bad things happen. And it's like, wow, this sounds incredibly grim. I don't want to. I'm sorry. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like leaving Las Vegas without the chipper ending. Yeah, oh, that's God. what I was going to say. It does sound like leaving Las Vegas. Oof. No, sorry. No. And sure uh, what a weird week at the box office. I remember this being very summerish. I thought this was the summer. I, maybe we were out of school at this point in college, but because I, I just have distinct memories of walking down, you know, when your friends first start getting apartments and stuff, those crappy apartment stairs, and we're all going mm -hmm. to the movie theater this week to not see <laughs> Paul Rodriguez, Jared Burns, Linda uh Kozlowski and Paul Hogan in Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, the third long-awaited Crocodile Dundee movie. His name is Crocodile Dundee. Good night. Now he's leaving the outback. Welcome to Los Angeles for the jungle. Yo, give it up, punk. I'm always getting mad. I must look rich. Ah! Must be why they call LA the city on wheels. What do you mean? Well, they don't even get out of their car to mug you. Wait, that's a right funny move. I have, I have not. I, I think I saw this on cable, and I was mildly mm. curious because if you, I think the first year of thirty twenty ten, I don't know that I've encountered movies more profitable than Crocodile Dundee, a very cheap movie that went on to make I think like upwards of six hundred million dollars at the box office off of a three million dollar price tag. The, yeah, the world was. Yeah, in, it was massive. The world was very in love with this character, and and you know, if you were my mother, Paul Hogan. And he <laughs> he still looks good in this movie to his credit. Very handsome, rugged individual. Uh, but this is trying to recapture the mag magic of what is it? The first movie? No, the second. The second movie where he is where he comes to New York and spends most of the movie there, right? No, yeah. the first movie oh. he goes to New York, spends most of the movie there. The second they one, go to Australia. The... he's back in Australia okay. for most of it. So this is essentially a, trying to to capture the magic of the first movie again, but it's been way too long <laughs> and it is no longer in the cultural zeitgeist and the writer and director of the next movie 
has gone on record to claim that any box office success this movie saw was kids under 17 trying to sneak into his R-rated movie and buying a ticket for this one. Um, hmm. That's a hard thing to prove, but like I've definitely had to do that before, and I, but I was of age in 2001, but who knows? Yeah. Mm. Now, Crocodile mm. Dundee, it just, mm. yeah. Mm. It, no. it feels sad. <laughs> it, it, yeah, and it's just like, oh, look, we're in, it's wacky, and it's so, oh, Los Angeles is so so very wacky and it's like yeah great also they got a kid now so the kid is along but they're also like foiling an art theft from yugoslavia what so (laughs) i mean yeah i a big part of that has to be the fact that our cultural fascination with both australia and los angeles had pretty much pretty much (laughs) faded by that point like there it wasn't they both of those places were not seen as wacky upside down worlds <laughs> mm. literally in the case of australia <laughs> and i i don't even is there a new crocodile dundee is that what that movie i i picked it up in a walmart and read the back of it and then realized we're in a pandemic and i shouldn't have touched this the the very <laughs> excellent mr dundee co-starring john cleese and chevy chase yes and <laughs> carl winslow this is a very real film i i but i, I looked in the back and it doesn't mention crocodile dundee <laughs> But Paul Hogan's in it? Yes, he's the star. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. the man oh, is in some tax trouble. Yeah. <laughs> he really? And he's also supposed to be quite an asshole. Is he really? Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listened to an interview with someone that like worked on a script with him where he just like stole the dude's script wow. and rewrote it like just enough that he could get writer credit. It was like, oh, if this was supposed to take place in a radio station, now the scene takes place at a TV station. Look, it's mm. fundamentally different. It's like, mm. oh, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm I'm now officially procrastinating because I have no idea how to talk about the next movie in any way that's succinct because it is oh. so... I, I brought reference materials. I have a book <laughs> that I would like to quote from. Oh, sweet. Pardon me. Let me see. Where is it? this movie doesn't scrape the bottom of the barrel. This movie isn't the bottom of the barrel. This movie isn't below the bottom of the barrel. This movie doesn't deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence with barrels. That is, I believe, Roger Ebert. It is. It is Roger. That is from the Roger Ebert review. Of of uh, this movie starring Julie Haggerty uh, playing yet another mother. God bless her. Uh, Eddie K. Thomas, Shitbreak, Marisha Coughlin, uh, Harlan Williams, Rip Torn. And... Rip Torn, eat. We just talked about you in such a great your, movie a your, couple uh, weeks ago. Well, I, I, this, this, if this movie has no merit, I think you could argue that this his part does because he is awesome in this and really <laughs> gives it his all in Tom Green's Freddy Got Fingered. He's every parent's worst nightmare. I found a treasure. Let's up on a rope. We can live like kings. He's loud. Ah! Obnoxious. He's 28 and he still lives at home. You want me to give him a talking to? Are you kidding me? Hey! I want you to shoot the kill. Tom Green. That's my phone. No! Freddy got fingered. Good enough. I, 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 can't. I spent. I started watching this movie at three. And my mouth was agape the whole time. Mm. And then I just could do nothing but read about it. And obviously how it went from one of the biggest bombs or like uh, the called the worst movie of all time to, of course, raw cult status mm. where people people yeah. love talking about it. I- I'll say this, though. 
I remember being at parties when the Tom Green show came out and people couldn't stop talking about it. And also mm-hmm. at like real parties, people would turn on the TV and like, shit, they are playing the Tom Green show. And like party activity would stop and everyone would watch this show. Other than like sports or a skate video, I never saw that with anything else. Tom Green had major heat, which is the only reason to explain why Freddie Got Fingered exists in any capacity. And we were all like a giant group of us went to see it on day one. Theater was packed. It was one of the most energetic cacophonies of laughter, a fucking great theater experience. But we did walk out of the movie like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) And then I saw it again by myself 10 years later. I'm like, what the fuck? How does this exist? And and yes. my my experience wasn't pleasant, and this time it is very much somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Di, yeah. your appraisal, I gotta know. So I, I've never been much of a Tom Green fan. I, I appreciate a lot of what he does, but I, I mean, some of his stuff is very anti-comedy, and mm. there is a very fine line between being wacky anti-comedy and just being annoying. Mm-hmm. And I think he passes that line a lot more than. I would prefer. I'm just going to come up, say a uh, word, and then say it over and over again. Swedish, Swedish, Swedish. And we'll yeah. do that until like people physically remove him <laughs> yes. from the scene. Now, so, but I have seen bits of the Tom Green show, and it's pretty funny a lot of times because it's basically hidden camera stuff so much yeah. of the time. Prank stuff. Where he, yeah. And uh, so I started watching this movie with my husband, who was a fan of the Tom Green show, and he, we got like not even six minutes in and he paused it and he turned to me he's like i can tell you what this movie's problem is he's doing tom Green's show antics but he's in a movie with actors right mm-hmm. and and i just i, so I watched an the inter- reaction isn't there it w- just seems like he's doing random stupid shit but there isn't like the, f- the feeling of oh god what now or the reaction of random people if we had done this more like jackass or borat right what just exactly what i there said we go Mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. the the story of Tom Green is fascinating because he's been like a straight laced talk show host for the most part. I think that's what he'd call himself or a stand up comic. This mm-hmm. defined very little of what he would do in his career. And I just an interview on his talk show, whatever fucking channel it was on. I saw it on YouTube was with mm-hmm. Eric Andre. And I love Eric Andre has always been like wonderfully straight up with his influences for the Eric Andre show. It's like, no, I love Space Ghost and Tom Green. They were huge <laughs> influences on, on... So if Tom Green had made the movie like Bad Trip, that's what I had written down. If this is a prank mm-hmm. movie, it, it may have gone down in history as like an immortal must-see classic. The idea that yeah. it's scripted and he's... You're pranking paid extras? Who is the prank on? No one's reacting yeah. to any of this. Yeah. And, you're just in the middle of a scene and then suddenly start screaming and jumping around. And, and jerking like, off... But there, there is also something. Animals. <laughs> there is also something wildly surreal about a cinematic shot of a man doing an e-brake power slide in a LeBaron to jump out of his car and jerk off a horse. It is <laughs> that that wouldn't look. It's it's so every part of this is surreal, and I can't I can't stress enough. Very worth watching. And I, I something Michael was saying, like I don't know what makes stuff good, but if. <laughs> In terms of a, a singular vision brought to screen, this movie yes. does have that. <laughs> it, yes, he wrote it. He directed it. There's um, the, there's a billion stories of yeah. comedians getting their big Hollywood movie, but it's tampered with to death. Whereas, like, there is no indication that the studio touched anything in this. From mm-hmm. him wearing the carcass yep. of a dead horse to spraying his father with elephant ejaculate that anybody stepped in and said, you can't do this. Or we should do a rewrite here. This isn't relatable enough. It is utterly insane and there's nothing like it in the world. 
it sounds like this then falls into the category of like a few films that we've talked about where it's not good, it's not bad, it's just spectacle. It's singular. And it's should exist for that reason then. It's so, it's peerless. Yeah. There's it's nothing like it. Of it. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing quite like it. And I was expecting to just hate it straight through and I ended up laughing a whole bunch of times and sometimes it was just the what the fuck yeah I, kind of I, laughter and then but I, then there are also some like oh that's a legitimately funny gag the yeah. fact that they he's basically at war with his father who wants him to like get a job and move out of the house P- pretty typical stuff and that every of the, every one of their arguments spills over into hurting the neighbor child <laughs> that just gets a, worse a and worse joke. and worse for that kid <laughs> it's really a lot of fun and just weird shit with his girlfriend who uses a wheelchair who gets off on him beating her legs with a cane why (laughs) okay yeah if this was a prank movie you'd never question its existence but because it's Mm -hmm. not there's no laugh track and no reaction everything is so again making it funnier Watch the movie and then go read critic reviews and laugh over and over again. These stuffed shirt. I don't know what's funny about a grown man biting through an umbilical cord and swinging a <laughs> newborn baby around like a lasso. I'm like, you're making this seem funnier. Stop. Stop. I wasn't laughing this uh, hard until you got angry over it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, reading because I read besides Ebert's review, which is vicious, a bunch of other reviews. And I realized, oh, you know what part of this is, though, is is we can see this in context on this show because we've done week by week by week leading up to this. Okay. We just had Joe dirt and like a week or two before that we had Tom cats Mm -hmm. and a week or two before that we had C spot run. Mm -hmm. We had this run of gross out based comedies that were just were H one is shittier and dumber. Like when Joe dirt is the, the pinnacle (laughs) is like the best one of those movies. Oh, God. So I'm sure they were just, I think all these critics were burned the fuck out. Like, I'm sick of this. Stop it. Fucking stop it. Like two two years ago, there's something about Mary had like become the Jackie Robinson of like on-screen ejaculate humor. And like people could not stop doing that. (laughs) Another reason why I hate that movie. But yeah, I... uh... I think, too, I mean, like, we also, through the context of the show, we've been able to watch Tom Green's rise, and Mm -hmm. we'll be watching his fall. I think he was one of those phenomenons that nobody knew what to do with. And and in making this movie, they made the wrong choice, which is give him a lot of money to make a movie. I think this movie, sounds like this movie would have been better executed with a lower budget. Uh, Yeah, also in the context of, like, I think Road Trip was out last year, which... I, I think I said on the show, I went to go see because Tom Green was in it, which you find mm-hmm. out he is very much not in that movie very much. He's shoehorned in, but they attributed that movie's success to like him being the Roger Rabbit cartoon before Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He's the big head on the poster that they put in after the fact that was shot uh, and that led a bunch of people to the theaters. Tom Green was hot, hot, hot. And his story, he sold this, he sold this script to a studio and they're like, yeah, we think you should change this and this. And you want to direct? You've never directed anything. He's like, yeah, I don't care. No. And the the script goes in a turnaround. And and then other studios like, yeah, we'll buy a t- any Tom Green script. Well, surely it's something we can work with. But he said he just mm-hmm. stopped compromise. He like refused to compromise on anything in the film because yeah. even if you, Which it reminds me of like Pootie Tang respect. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like when Louis C.K. Sorry to bring up his name. Talked about Pootie Tang. He's like, yeah, the film may have sucked, but like. They hired another director and writer and tried to reshoot scenes and as if that would somehow make the movie better. Like maybe the premise 
was failed to begin with and you just let it fail on the creator's terms rather than spend millions of dollars of extra extra money trying to salvage something. They clearly didn't mm-hmm. go that route with Freddy Got Fingered. A title, I'm pretty sure I remembered they couldn't, not legally, but they couldn't uh, contractually discuss what it meant. Yeah, because I, it was not what I thought it meant. I thought it had something to do with someone getting framed for a right. crime. So so did I, and I thought but that's why no, they had. No, <laughs> it is incredibly. It is. It is not that at all. It's like two or three scenes that is completely forgotten about, and it's offensive and gross. Yeah, yeah, that, that whole sequence is like way more offensive in in today's light of, <laughs> of like a face yeah. alle- a fake allegation of sexual assault and a lot of jokes made around it. It, it has yeah. nothing to do with his brother Freddie because yeah, if you don't know, Tom Green Freddy's is not Freddie. Like not even a character. Yeah, he's barely in the movie. <laughs> It's about his brother getting fingered by his father, uh, but not really. It, no. It's something Tom Green he makes just up. makes that accusation and everyone, I mean, everyone does the right thing and they take it at face value without appreciating that Tom Green is, his characters never said anything true or accurate <laughs> or real the entire fucking movie. But, you know, good on him for actually believing him. But... <sighs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like when you say, how did this get made? Like it mm-hmm. makes sense for a studio to be like, Let's roll the dice. Let's just yeah. see what this kid can do. You know, maybe he can do something. And mm, maybe reining him in would have been a good idea. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, know. I don't think there's a better movie at all in here reigning. Because mm. he, he, we even talked about, like, it's not like I wasn't given, like, 10 scripts for, like, generic comedies that would have done nothing. Completely mm. boring Sandler-esque stuff. Why not use this time to make the weirdest thing we could? Something in- intentionally absurdist. And in that respect, yeah, I can't help but like want to salute the fucking hell out of it. It is, it's, and then if I didn't say that earlier, I'm watching this with my girlfriend who's a little younger and she's like, oh, that's great. I love this movie. I'm like, really? And she's like, and I didn't know to what extent. And I just hear in the background, like, and like, you're quoting lines from this. I'm like, yeah, me and my dad love this movie and watched it all the time. And there's, and if you like this movie, there's nothing else like it. You just have to go back to this movie. Yeah. That. Is true. I feel like much like the room, it is a singular man's vision. Yeah, yeah. and you got to at least give it that. And um, yeah, as usual, respect for Tom Green for showing up to collect his Razzies. And I believe he had brought- to be physically removed from the stage there yes. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he started playing harmonica and then wouldn't knock it off. <laughs> yeah, but he brought his own red carpet, <laughs> which he <laughs> unrolled to walk down. Just like, yeah, that's exactly what I expect from him. Yeah, this, so, I, I, good. I, Good for you, but I was uh. up until five or six in the morning just digging, mm. going down this Tom Green rabbit hole. And, and and the best I could find is I don't think he would define himself by whatever period in his life this was about absurdism, uh, being deliberately offensive. I, I love when we were kids, the Tom Green show went away and like everyone's like, oh, that's because he dressed up like Hitler and went to like a Jewish uh, Holocaust survivor's funeral. And like, he's like, no, why would I ever do that? That's not funny. Uh, like, show me the video if that's what I did. And like, it's a rumor <laughs> that persists to this day because he just yeah. sort of this, he sort of disappeared from this looking into him. He's it's the story of a creative nerd whose parents didn't understand him, who was <laughs> quick to adapt to technology. So he started up <laughs> the Tom Green show started as a public access show. And then that MTV basically bought that and you're seeing jackass style, like five-year-old footage unspooled in the shell of a new show. And every time there's a new piece of technology, Tom Green is there. He was the first person to stream. He, he streamed a talk show in, from inside of his house. He is 
he has done he has done numerous live shows and podcasts before anybody was doing them or there were distribution methods. He was making his own television show before a studio offered it to him for free. Uh, so like, that's always been the kind of guy he is. And I think this is just a stage in his career. He's I can't tell you how weird it is to see him not shocking. It's like hard to watch his new shows because he's very <laughs> he's like, no, I, I like David Letterman. I want to be like David Letterman. I always have. And he's a cordial Canadian. He, he doesn't really like offending yeah. people despite having a great sketch, Let's Teach Babies to Smoke, where he put <laughs> a, tu- a long tube on a lit cigarette and starts trying to offer it to parents through playgrounds. <laughs> I mean, the babies would look much cooler, you have to admit. <laughs> yeah, take that yeah. hangover baby. Babies are such nerds. But, but Freddie Godfinger, it goes there, it does... It it does things I've never seen before on film, and is uh, Rip Torn is the only thing that like in a tw- has those uh, a couple of words he yells at his son that are offensive in a twenty twenty one context. No, no. It, I, I I searched far and wide like I want to know what Rip Torn had to say about this because they clearly had a story like people would read this script and like oh Tom Green has a script I'll read this absolutely fucking not I'm not going to do this movie <laughs> and, and Rip Torn was all game and i think michael and i said we wished he turned up the dial a little harder like a louder and angrier rip torn but he does mm. get there in several scenes he's very violent and very cruel and in a cartoony yeah. way yeah but most of the time i was on his side because i was i <laughs> felt can... his frustration because tom green was being so annoying i, took I was a page... like yeah shoot the bastard i, I don't care took a page from diana's assessment diana there is no hero in this movie there is nobody to root for yeah no one yeah. You don't like nope. his dad. You don't like Tom and or Gord or whatever he, his yeah. name is. He's Tom Green to me. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like my my final assistant is, is it a good movie? Fuck no. No, it's not a good movie. But I was expecting it to be just unbearable. Yeah. Like, and it turned out it was like, oh, no, there's some really funny things in there. And for different kinds of senses of humor, you probably find it even funnier than I did. Just a lot of gross out stuff or, or just randomness just doesn't make me laugh. But there mm. were some. I don't know. I, I stopped counting around six or seven, like solid laughs I got out of it. That kid getting hurt every time, every time. Yeah. Like, I just, I cannot that, believe they did oh that. It's God. so funny. <laughs> yeah. Every single time. Uh, and, and, and some of it, I, uh, I, I shouldn't go on because, but I do, I do recommend it. I think it's pretty amazing. It is to be some, to be something this unique, to have fought for this vision, good or bad, to be this. Yeah. This inimitable, no one will ever do or try anything like it. It's worth seeing. It really is. And it's not streaming anywhere. I believe now owned by Disney. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Disney owns Freddy Got Fingered. Uh, And I did see in the IMDb trivia, it's French titles like, hey, fuck you. Like that. That's that's the title. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know how much more I can say about this, but I do recommend people who are curious check it out it it will defy what you it's not corky romano it's not a rob mm. schneider movie and you think it might be that it's it's never boring my again my jaw no. was a gape inexplicable <laughs> yes but not boring <laughs> oh watch freddy got fingered it is my recommend this of this week oh boy uh moving into television of 2001 april 16th to the 22nd uh we got a tv movie when billy beat bobby starring holly <laughs> hunter and ron silver Mm-hmm. Did they just yep. make another movie like this? Yeah, since 2017. Yeah. Yeah. The, is that called Battle of the Sexes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I I think this one, uh, I'm pretty sure it's for HBO. I think that's really good casting, Holly Hunter mm-hmm. and Ron Silver. As, mm-hmm. 
Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King. But uh, I think at the time, uh, Billie Jean King was not out. And so <laughs> the fact, which is kind of a thing. And in the uh, movie with Emma Stone, they explain like, yeah, she feels like she has all this pressure on her to be like, mm-hmm. you're representing women and you're going to take down this sexist guy. And she's like, this is a lot of attention on me. And I mm-hmm. kind of don't want anyone to notice that I have a girlfriend. Oh, God. So this, this movie is made in a time where that's not public knowledge and doesn't address that at all. Right. Wow. Right. Okay. I think so. Well, that, I think you're right about hey, that. That makes too. it two distinct watches then. Yeah. That's mm. <laughs> kind of interesting to watch it with. Yeah. That eye of like. Do, it, are they avoiding this topic or do they not know? I think mm-hmm. it's they don't know yet. Mm. Hmm. Eh. I just always assumed she was in like a glass closet, sort of like Jodie Foster. Right. But. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of people who did know or plenty of people who also assume, oh, well, she's a female athlete. She must be a dyke. Yeah, every mm. girl in a sports yeah. bra is gay to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody with yeah. broad shoulders. Uh, yeah, very, I, I don't, like, I. I don't, I don't remember this happening. So was this a, was this well, even in my lifetime? Seventies? Uh, okay, mm-hmm. not in my lifetime. It was lifetime. in the seventies, right? Yeah, it's seventy-three. But when it was a historic tennis match between the two of them, and he, Bobby Riggs, is a virulent misogynist. So of yeah. course, there was a lot Which, of trash talking. Yeah, and he really played that up. Like he he was smart that he was doing that on purpose. It's like I'm, this gets a lot of attention. Where I'm like, I can beat any female athlete. I'm the Andy yeah, Kaufman of tennis. And come at yeah, me. Pretty much. Like and he's like you know over the hill a bit, and he's still like, I don't care. I can beat someone half my age. Meh. Women mm-hmm. all suck. Meh. Mm-hmm. Gotta and tell so, you, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't yeah. know how this ends. So maybe I'll have to watch one of these movies. I don't well, know who wins. I won't spoil it. Yeah. Don't. Don't. I won't even look it up. Um, just like I didn't yeah. look up the, the weakest thing. <laughs> just because, like, wow, was this around way too long? Oh, my God. I don't even remember how the show worked exactly. It may still be on. I, it is. I think with, with the same yeah. host. No, not the same host. I saw one on, like, the Game Show Network. It was the, whoever this lady is, who's, I think, the rare example of, like, the United States poaching a British show and then taking the host with it. Uh, Simon Cowell being another example. Yeah, right. I, I, that might have been a rerun because I don't think that she is okay. still the. I think she did it for a very long time then. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was for a while. Like, now it's Jane Lynch. That's right. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. Nice. Um, I did see that. But uh, yeah. The Weakest Link, I think out of all this like weird who wants to be a millionaire's multi night network success, this one stuck around even longer than that show. Uh, yeah, game show. Game resurrection. show. Yeah. It's this really like once who wants to be a millionaire kind of set the tone for like a, a flashier, like nighttime look to game shows. Yes. It has mm-hmm. a higher Where budget things- look, but I would say it's, it's fucking slower. It built on tension. Oh, and yeah, like, yeah. It silences. Oh, yeah. And like, it was the, like, remember game shows of our youth are like, and that's it. We got to go to commercial. We'll get right back. We'll get in a round two. Right. Whereas this would like interrupt the question with a commercial break, when you last right. left us, we asked you who Yogi Bear's partner was. You said Lone Ranger. <laughs> um, like <laughs> that's why another reason I hated these shows. It took them over an hour to do the content of like a half of a oh. '70s game show. <laughs> For yeah. trivia, well, yeah, slow trivia is the worst. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, the weakest link part of it is it's got a survivor element to it. Mm. They they yeah. vote off like they're basically competing against each other, but also kind of as a team. Mm-hmm. Like they have to strategize as as a unit, and so whoever is not doing well gets voted off. So they they yeah. e- interrupt the trivia even more. Yeah. And the highlight <laughs> is being insulted by the host. You 
dumbass, you are the weakest yeah. link. I mean, <laughs> shame I, on you. I imagine for several, a lot of people probably in the United States, a kink was awakened by a British, <laughs> a stern British lady being mean to them. Mm. Um, Answer this correctly, I will step television. on your balls. Uh, I did not see any of that, but I did follow for far too long the um, saga of the trailer park boys. And to me, it's one of the most interesting stories uh, in intellectual property history because it's been around for 20 years and it offers a key to the future of one of my favorite shows. Trailer Park Boys starts as like small sketches and a movie of the same name, but with not all the same people in the same roles from Canada and becomes a Canada, a Canadian comedy show, but then is also canceled and is one of the things Netflix, one of those Things early on, Netflix can afford to bring back. I remember I discovered Trailer Park Boys through uh, file sharing sites because we didn't have anybody in America showing it to us. You could buy the DVDs, uh, but there was nowhere to watch it on television. So Netflix made a lot of hay about like, yo, we are bringing back the Trailer Park Boys. The actors who play the Trailer Park Boys eventually buy the rights to the characters from the creators to take control of the show, and they do. The show is canceled and then gets a trilogy of movies comes back to Netflix for several more seasons, and now the latest season uh, exists officially on those three guys' website. G- g- good luck to them. I don't know how... <laughs> I, I don't know how many... I can tell you from having our own website that very few people go directly to any website to access anything. Godspeed on this endeavor, but it also, I look to the future of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Netflix bought them up exclusively, canceled them kind of callously, and... There these episodes sit just forever, forever locked to Netflix. So new content is exclusive to their own website until they find a decent distributor. The Trailer Park Boys, Jilly and Ricky, Bubbles, they debut. It's hard to remember. There is like 16 seasons of this, uh, of Trailer Park Boys. A lot of Trailer Park Boys content. And moving on to video games of 2001. Well, I hope you like horror games because it's April and or maybe just in time for 420. Ill Bleed, a very surreal game, I believe, where you can fight evil baseball players. We streamed it on YouTube.com slash LazerTime. Batman Chaos in Gotham is also out for the Game Boy uh, and there's a Spider-Man port for Dreamcast. And that is about it as far as big video games go for the week of April 16th to the 22nd. Let's uh, take ourselves out of 2001 with uh, Hanging by a Moment by Lifehouse. Oh, goodness. Oh, man. This is such a specific time period for me. Like, just this being on the radio, my mom picking me up from high school with my gal pals. Oof. Very specific time. And I still love this song, so... Yeah. This is like oh, one of those. You are so cheesy. I know. <laughs> I am like a nice aged Gouda. <laughs> um, but it's also one of those bands that came out that was like maybe stealth Christian rock. Yeah. Lifehouse right. is like one of those bands that there were always rumors that they were Christian rock. There's nothing very like explicitly Jesus y in their lyrics. But, but they were, you never they were, could tell. They had a clean-cut look that a boy band would have. Pretty, yeah. Pretty men that didn't look like they were strung out on anything. Yeah. And and, yeah. and, and with, with pop music. So I always thought they were They more... probably open for Hanson a lot, you know? <laughs> that, that whole vibe. One of them's gay, for sure. <laughs> Even he doesn't know yet to this <laughs> that day. That nobody knows, including himself, yeah. But yeah, we'll close that with some fucking life <laughs> But stay right there. We still got to get through 2011, everyone.
Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth watching. And for the week of April 16th through 22nd, I got to recommend that I feel like doesn't get talked enough about. Now that we're sort of in the post-war period, I'm going to get into film noir a lot because I fucking love film noir. From a sociological standpoint, like you can kind of see this as... The war's over and we're really happy and everything's great. But like a lot of people, they're not great. Maybe they have thoughts about the things they saw and they got this, what they call shell shock back then or they're wounded or whatever. And they come back and they're like, have babies. Everyone buy ranch style houses. And they're like, no. And so film noir is literally dark films uh, from, from this period about like the seedy underbelly of things and crime. And they just boom, right after World War II. And I find that so interesting. Like, we kind of saw the same thing in the 70s after Vietnam, where it's like, everyone's, the cynicism is just under the surface. And so even though everyone is like, yay, make baby boomers, ranch houses, like, there's still, there's a ton of art that is cynical as hell. And one of these film noirs that never really gets talked about is The Blue Dahlia, which turned 75 this week, 1946, starring Alan Ladd and Veronica Lake, who they're both awesome separately and together somehow they're like even better and it's kind of like it's about a a guy who comes back from the war kind of shell-shocked and you know it comes back to his wife and it turns out like oh maybe his wife hasn't exactly been straight with him this whole time and oh something happened to their kid and there's blackmail and then there's a murder and they think he did it and oh, but who's who's got an alibi for him? I don't know. And it's like real twisty turning. And it just kind of never really gets brought up too much. I mean, it's written by Raymond Chandler, you know, who's like Mr. Film Noir and obviously has a lasting thing because he, six months later, uh, a woman named Elizabeth Short is found murdered in Los Angeles and becomes known as the Black Dahlia Killing, which is probably a reference to the Blue Dahlia because the movie was still around at the time. And somehow the Blue Dahlia just kind of got forgotten. But... Uh, I watched a couple years ago. It's one of those where like TCM would run it late at night. And I'd be like, I've never heard of this. I'm watching it. Son of a bitch. That was great. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my recommend, especially if you're into film noirs and you like detective crime stories, you know, with double crossing dames and blackmail and murder. Yeah, Blue Dahlia, 1946. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming in with Gorillas, uh, Revolving Doors, Off of the Fall. That is an album out right now. Is that out this week? Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know the music video, so therefore I don't know the song. But it's 2011, so do not confuse it for, what, like a couple weeks ago where we have Gorillas debut Mm -hmm. in uh, 2001. Also out this week, new releases, Take Care, Take Care, Take Care by Explosions in the Sky, otherwise known as uh, Chris's Reading Playlist. Don't give me any goddamn lyrics when I'm reading. I can no longer enjoy music and reading. 
at the same time. <laughs> with lyrics are involved. Taking by Loaded and The Modern Glitch by The Wombats. E.T. by Katy Perry featuring Kanye West is still number one. Oh, a little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2011, April 16th to the 22nd. A little bit of news to bring you into the world of April 16th through the 22nd in 2011. Whew, Fidel Castro, uh, who's already resigned as president, totally retires, resigning as the first secretary of Communist Party of Cuba. I am always very confused by this. Did they hide his death for a little while? Mm, no. Well, maybe. I think they were hiding what state he was in. Because, I mean, he yeah. made it to 90 in mm-hmm. 2016. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think there was a little bit of, no, he's great. Wave to the people, Fidel. No, <laughs> see how great it is. And then, and then they'd be like, oh, no, he's totally, he's about to die. Him resigning means he's totally about to die. And then he'd go and give his, like, five-hour speeches. And you'd be like, oh, poop. <laughs> <laughs> CIA is all sitting around like, meh. Grumpy. Also, also another Dang. notable Pulitzer Prize uh, for fiction this week goes to A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan and Pulitzer Prize for Drama goes to uh, Clybourne Park by Bruce Norris. Mm. Yep. Hopefully I'm saying yeah. all that right because I've never a, encountered those words before. A Visit from the Goon Squad is very highly regarded and I am remiss in having not read it yet. Basically, my sister, every time we're in a bookstore, my sister yells at me for not having read it yet, so... If it's good, y'all let me know. Okay, and uh, I feel like I have to read it based on that title because, like I just said, I love me some film noirs. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a film noir title. Movies this week, uh, the sixteenth to the twenty second of April, twenty eleven. Uh, Rio is still number one. Uh, we also have the greatest movie ever sold by Morgan Spurlock. I believe the was the full title Pomegranate uh, Presents <laughs> the greatest yeah, movie. Palm ever Wonderful sold. Presents the greatest movie ever sold. Oh wow, that's funny. A movie all about advertising and product placement. And mm. I I don't know. I think I was kind of wearing thin with Morgan Spurlock, a, a filmmaker I do like. I I've, I usually watch everything he makes, uh, mm-hmm. up to and including his weird Showtime Seven Deadly Sin show that is. I have no idea when that was produced, and I've never heard anybody talk about it, but seven glorious episodes I started watching. Well, um, I think also some stuff came out about him a couple years ago, of him being I a real creep. believe it or did, Or something. I believe that did happen, didn't it? Yeah. But it, it is it is a fun idea, and yeah. the reviews are all pretty good. People saying, like, look, even if you didn't like Super Size Me, this is honestly kind of more fun because advertising is something that it's just a lot of fun to make fun of. It's mm. easy to make fun of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like, I'm going to go out and make a movie and it will be funded in real time by me getting all these brands. <laughs> Every brand I get just means I get to film more. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But what is the movie? Like what's that, the movie part of it about Advertising? I think about how advertising yes. permeates every part of our existence. Oh, okay. So that's what and, it's about. Yeah. And then it's also. It's also contained. taking money from advertisers. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> caramba. That's a hat on a hat. Yeah. An interesting, but a, but a perfect Spurlock concept. Also out this week, Jane Eyre. Another adaptation, uh, Judy Dench, Michael Fassbender, and Mia. Oh, God, Wassel. Come on. Co- uh, co- ska. Ska music. Wassel Koska. Koska. Yes. Wassel oh, Koska. you actually kind of nailed it there. Yeah. Wassel Koska. Wassel Koska. Um, here we go with Wassel Kowsking and with the Jane Eyre trailer. I was not asleep. I know what I saw. It must have been half dream, half reality. It transfixed me quite. What am I to do then? Rare unearthly thing. I must have you for my own. You're so little acquainted with men. Keep him at a distance. Miss Ingram's coming. She's a great favorite of his. So what is what is the bold new vision here? 
They're leaning into the gothic horrorness mm-hmm. instead of it being a romance, which mm. is good because it always bothered me as a romance because Mr. Rochester is uh, kind of a dick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Does I mean, there is room for that in romantic novels and movies and stuff, but it has to be balanced pretty well, especially especially now and even in 2011 so i think that's a good move that they made yeah so they they lean into the like spooky house with a secret and like she's been mistreated as a kid and so now she's stuck in the situation she doesn't understand and yeah they they actually focus it on jane Eyre herself instead of Mm -hmm. uh on this you know Mr. Rochester, the romantic hero. Oh, yes. he's so troubled. Oh, maybe I can fix him with my love. Wandering on the bluffs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, this might be my favorite adaptation of Jane Eyre. Oh, I've shit. seen a couple now. I really like this one because, yeah, it, it sort of not really expand the story, but mm-hmm. just kind of focus on the parts that I like more. And it's directed by Carrie Joji Fukunawa, who I really like. And ah, maybe yes. one day I'll finally get to see fucking No Time to Die. Maybe. Maybe this century I'll finally get to see the next Bond film, you bastards. Mm. Oh, that one. I, forgot about I feel that. your pain as someone who's eagerly awaiting the next Mission Impossible, which will never happen, yeah. apparently. Yeah. And not if time Cruise yeah. keeps firing everyone. I'm fucking serious. <laughs> yeah. Did they ever find, did they ever finally buy a bridge to blow up? I know that was, there was a scandal there about them trying to find a bridge in Poland to blow up. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. But no, Jane Eyre 2011, I think, yeah, I think it's really good. Especially if you're into that sort of thing. And if you're not into that sort of thing, it's, you'll like it more than other versions. Okay. I think because at least there's some spooky shit going on. That's fun. Look, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in the medium films. It's like kind of, I would consider a weird blank spot considering I said, I've said this and heard people silent because I think I'm saying something offensive. I don't know of anybody who's made a more connected universe than Marvel than other than Tyler Perry. Like there is, <laughs> it is a huge yeah. universe of overlapping characters, including oh, the yeah. big one, Medea. And shit, I was trying to remember where I looked into where this stood and where this was in the timeline. This it, is the fifth Medea. The fifth Medea. Wow. with The movie with Medea's name in it. But then there's also the, yeah. the film plays. There's plenty others though. Yeah. yeah. Where she is not name checked in the title. Where the, where the movie's centers on Medea. Mm-hmm. But Shannon Kane, Rodney Perry, uh, Isaiah Mustafa, Lauren London, Tamala Mann, Cassie Davis, uh, David Mann, Shad, Bow Wow Moss, uh, Lorda Divine, and of course, T. Pear, Tyler Perry, and Medea's big, happy family. What brings you by here? I just wanted to have a nice dinner, everybody together. You need to help her with her kids. Can't nobody bring a family together like you can. No. Hallelujah. Girl, I will stump a mud hole in your skinny, bougie. What's mud hole? I did see the rap. They ranked the 10 movies with Medea's name in it, and this is number one. Wow. Of all of those films. So that's all the. Wow, that's interesting. Gosh, I I thought it was a little farther down than that. I know people, a lot of people really like Medea Goes to Jail, which, mm-hmm. okay, I, I think that's mo- fine. I think that at that point, like, it was a much more known quantity, and mm. those were hitting, like, number one at the box office and everything. But I think this is a ranking in terms of a true fan, because if you're going to watch ah. 10 movies, <laughs> I'm going to take your word for it. But I have only seen a few. What, what's TL made me watch the play, 
um, Dyer of Mad Black oh. one for that, that podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's like the only one I've really seen all the way through. I have next in my queue, Boo, a Medea Halloween 2. Uh, no, it's Boo Ooh. 2, <laughs> a Medea Halloween. It's just like the, the cast is so huge because it's like all the family getting together mm-hmm. and then she's yelling at everyone to sort out their problems. It's, you know, this guy, they're marriage isn't working and this one he's not paying child support and he because he says the baby's not his and this guy oh he might go back to drug dealing and it's like okay i i have to admit i have never seen a medea movie all the way through mm-hmm. but i've seen big chunks of them and every time i watch the big chunk i'm like well, this is fun mm-hmm. it's like yeah i'm trying to remember the last fun. one that i watched it was definitely for the show and i absolutely laughed out loud during some of you know, parts of specifically Medea on screen. But mm. honestly, I laughed the most during the blooper reel at the end <laughs> with all the alternative takes and the bloopers and everything. Yeah. It That is a joy to watch. Fake I have butt to falling say. out. Love yeah. it. Um, so good. Yeah. I know way more movies need to do blooper reels again. Oh, every single one. Every single well, one. Well, then you'll Including love Including like Michael Clayton. I want to see that blooper <laughs> reel. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the blooper reel from the father, Oscars. Put Please. Cowards. <laughs> then you'll love a little movie from this week called Freddy Got Fingered because they have one. Oh, my, yeah. my only last that note to, movie is a blooper reel. to really timestamp it, the whole blooper reel ends with just him and his wife-to-be, Drew Barrymore, just like, meh, 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 meh. I'm like, wow, that really like puts a bigger timestamp on it than even it being a Tom Green movie. That was a yeah. very short-lived thing. But so I'm, I'm getting off track because we got to talk about Hal Holbrook, Christopher, Christoph yeah. Waltz, Reese Witherspoon, Robert Pattinson, and Water for Effulence. I'm just looking for work, Sam. Who's the one who works with the horses? That's the boss's wife. She don't talk to nobody, and you don't talk to her. Any living creature needs to know who's in charge. They can sense when a man's power is full strength. When a man's is not. You're a beautiful woman. Deserve a beautiful life. She cut from the animal instructions to him talking to his girl. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to know who's in charge. I'm giving relationship advice. I'm Christoph Waltz doing a bad impression. Yep. Okay. Well, Water for Elephants. I have not seen this. Uh, so I did. Oh. Sarah? No. So I actually have refused to watch this movie or read the book because, A, this is one of those books that you can find in every single used bookstore and thrift store in America. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of, like, the very first Reese's book club book picks. I think that was maybe the first one. I can't remember. And also, I just feel like crap. I'm going to have to be exposed to some situations of elephant cruelty, cruelty towards elephants, even if it's not like outright descriptions or depictions of cruelty. I know those elephants are sad and I just don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want to look at it. All right. Fair <laughs> so enough. So this is why I have never done that. I've never read it. Okay. So, uh, so I watched this and I'm happy to tell you it is the best movie of 1954. <laughs> <laughs> You literally cut 30 seconds and you have a movie that would pass the production code in 1954. Wow. Wow. It's that old fashioned. It is so old fashioned that your great grandma would fucking love this movie. Wow. So it's about 
Robert Pattinson, it's 1931, it's the Great Depression. He ends up with the circus where he was he was studying to be a veterinarian, but then depression, tragedy, blah, blah. And so he's now he's in the circus where Christoph Waltz is the owner and in charge, and his wife is Reese Witherspoon, and she's a pretty star. And of course, they start developing feelings for each other, but Christoph Waltz, he is a jealous man and a violent man. And they get this elephant, and they're like working together to train this elephant and oh christoph waltz is mean to the elephant but it's like mostly off screen again it's like wow so okay you're keeping it clean it's like most it's it's off screen and uh then you know obviously oh they should leave oh no he's gonna kill him and oh what are they gonna happen to the elephant and yeah it's um uh, yeah i feel like i saw this movie and it starred tyrone power and like june allison (laughs) this is seriously old school movie there is just nothing modern about it and that's kind of charming in its own way of like how just i don't know what's the word i'm even looking for i keep wanting to say old-fashioned over and over but it's just really is like a classic movie just somehow teleported to starring people that we recognize um it does have a really nice framing device with hal holbrook r.i.p playing elderly robert pattinson that's that was really charming. But no, the, the violence against animals is implied. The animal tie, the elephant, is very good. It's the same elephant from Operation Dumbo Drop. Hey. Oh. And, big, and bigger than life. Wow. Larger That's a life. star elephant. And there were some allegations. There was an animal rights group that found video from like 2005 of the elephant maybe being abused and was like, they've been abusing this elephant. And they're like, That's really old footage and we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But on set, Apparently, the elephant was cool. Everyone, like, elephant was treated nice. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like I can't quite recommend it because, like, I feel like I've seen it a million times. But maybe that's just because I've watched old-ass movies. Yeah. So. (laughs) Yeah. What's that Charlton Heston one I tried to watch recently? Yeah, Greatest 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 Show on Earth, Earth, man. Oh, I've seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Watched that in gifted class. Oh, what a joke. Weird choice. Sucks. <laughs> that movie sucks. You should watch. I would rather watch Water for Elephants than yeah. Greatest Show on Earth. But I'm just, I have a perpetual hatred of Greatest Show on Earth because it beat High Noon at the Oscars. And oh, that shit. is bullshit. Yeah. Mm. That's pretty dumb. The, it, I don't know if it's a coincidence with the movie coming out at this point, but there was a very fascinating long read that was floating around recently on the internet about the author of Water for Elephants, uh, Sarah Gruen, and she has embarked on this multi-year fight to try to exonerate someone, a man who is in prison for life, uh, for murder, <laughs> and it is like almost ruined her own life like bankrupted her and everything and it's a very very fascinating long read about that whole situation it's on vulture right now but the marshall project also did some of the reporting on it too it's very interesting oh check that out okay yeah i'm just seeing it now okay water for elephants that's some heavy shit for a family film and but uh if you don't live in a town with a giant zoo not like you have another way of seeing elephants anymore so it's true. I did. That's I grew true. up in a town with a very small family zoo that had, but it was still, yeah, great to see all the animals there. Yeah, I don't know yeah. that it's open anymore, honestly. I, I know. It it's, probably shouldn't be, honestly. I am, I am on, <laughs> yes, I'm on the side of the elephants in the closure of the circus, but it's also like, it's been like six years since I've seen any of these goddamn animals, and I used to have them 
a little more yeah. within reach, and I, I, I'm going to have to like really go out of my way if I ever want to see an elephant again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the thing is, mm. this movie's family friendly, and mm. that there's nothing too sexy or too violent going on. Mm. But I, I don't know if kids would want to watch it because it's all like drama. Yeah, yeah. And but, also, I mean, seriously, a ten year old could watch this, not a problem. But also, it's that too, clean. we're. I think approaching an era where children are not going to know what a circus is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, certainly not a circus with animals. Um, yeah. So. Oh, just a bunch of humans hanging from their nipples. That's a bunch of French people <laughs> bending themselves into in half. Oh. I'm fine with, I love circus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Oh, you know what I love first thing in the TV segment, TV 2011 16th through the 22nd of April. Uh, this ends up on a lot of top ten community uh, episode best episodes lists, um, and yep. I, it when I come across I love YouTube community compilations. This lends itself very well because they're just it's filled with I believe seventy jokes referencing things that have never ever happened in the episode Paradigms of Human Memory, which mm-hmm. is a <laughs> clip show. Fake. Fake clip show. The best kind of clip. It's show. very confusing because they they do address canon from other episodes and then make up things completely that that may or may not have ever happened but <laughs> yeah. i just watched it and it's it's pretty breathless and it's, it is it's amazing honestly wait, you, and you don't remember the episode where they had a double dutch competition <laughs> <laughs> well one of the things that makes this episode so compelling and so fun is that it forces you to imagine these people's lives the parts that aren't being filmed mm-hmm. and adventures that they were having that aren't part of the show. And that is something that most people do not contemplate when they watch their favorite situation comedy. Right. And I love that. Um, I, think that they, I also, they, they even introduce and, plot lines that, sh- that would like be the, their own episode of any other show, but it's just mm-hmm. a throwaway gag for 40 seconds of material. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing feat. And it also, and also too, I'm like one of the very few people who I actually love a good old fashioned clip show yes. of real clips. I don't think anyone else does. But it's, it's, do. it's on par with the second episode of Clerks is like a great, just cut up <laughs> very, very dense jokes. Cause even most of them are fake. I think of the Dean walking in and <laughs> what's Dean got to do with it. Got to do with it. It's just as Tina Turner. It's like dresses Catwoman with the like meow. It's female. It's female I, HIV awareness. I just want to tell you the school is baroque, and he just says white face paint on. <laughs> uh, but my my favorite thing I never noticed until reading about the episode that they they had to shoot on so many locations. They spent an entire day in Universal Studios. So a clip I see constantly of Donald Glover like. I've seen enough cartoons to know that popping the back of a raft makes it go faster. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen that clip. That is that is like literally the Jaws ride, and that's Ugh, that's yeah. in the that's in the Jaws ride for not the yep. the much smaller one in Hollywood. Making me feel kind of woozy imagining <laughs> all that metal in that water. No, it's it's Don't it's, like that. it's very Don't cheesy. Like that. The, the biggest one of the big, biggest letdowns of my life is Jaws in Hollywood compared to the Florida one. Yep. Uh, it, is, it is a very, very one very small shark you can literally see on a rod being lifted out of the water. It's mm-hmm. as opposed to the nine giant ones and burning fire and dilapidated buildings in Florida. All the right, menace here. of both metal coming out of the water and fire above your head. Mm-hmm. Nothing, <laughs> nothing can replicate the Jaws ride. I sorry, I could talk about it for a oh, whole. Oh, it's episode. so good! It's so good. <laughs> I love it. This 
Man, this should be a more substantial milestone. One of the most popular shows of all times debuts on the 17th of April, 2011. Mm. Yeah, that one. That one, which oh, was... Oh, yeah. In the Peter zeitgeist. Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage. <laughs> Endlessly parodied. And then, like... I've only seen it with something like Lost, when Lost sort of petered out. Like, mm-hmm. all the references and cosplay and memory fucking disappeared. Mm-hmm. With with like went out with a whimper. Yeah, and it wasn't even like a bad yeah. season of Game of Thrones. It was like half of a season. It was it yeah. was the last seven episodes just put a bad mm-hmm. taste in people's mouth. Mm-hmm. I I think this I may have gotten drunk and written a letter to HBO because I was so obsessed with the Game <gasps> of Thrones books. Like you're the only people who can do the show justice. And dear Mr. Box Office, dear <laughs> my name is Chris Antista, Mr. or Mrs. Box Office. Come on, it's. <laughs> 2005 but i am i yeah i think i'm uh three three four books deep into the song of fire and ice and like this is fucking perfect this is a perfect hbo show and i remember watching it and like casting looks good oh and i'm bored i am very bored with a straight up adaptation of these books (laughs) because it feels slower than reading the book and it technically Hmm. is uh if you watch it all in one sitting but it was also captivating to watch the whole world being in, entranced by this these novels that I'd fallen in love with. And I, yeah. I always applaud hu- an aspect of humanity that never spoiled stuff that was years out in Game of Thrones. Everyone's response to the Red Wedding, like, wow, like no one told you that. No one yeah, told you no. that was going to happen. That's yeah, awesome. I, I had that accidentally spoiled like a year in advance. Mm-hmm. And I was like heartbroken. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. So I was like... But I was sad about the being spoiled and I was like sad about what actually happened. I'm like, and then I felt stupid. I was like, well, yeah, that just does this to us all the time. I mean, it does it in the first season. It's it's one of the best the first episode. It's one of the best shocks I've ever seen. I no, but by the end of the first season where Sean Bean has been set up as mm-hmm. he's your big damn hero. He's the biggest star in this thing. Yep. And he's so noble and great. And they won't talk about how noble and great he is. And you're like, all oh, right, now they're gonna get into a big fight and, and he's dead. It, it it's it's up there book wise like, with fuck. with reading No Country for Old Men where like yeah the guy shot off your hero shot off screen he did not wiggle his way out of this mm-hmm. it's it's on par with a Kurt Vonnegut book I read and I didn't realize I had a misprinted book that was missing twenty pages so like every time that oh. happens to, that's what the end, reading this was like when uh mm-hmm. um, and when yeah. Ned Stark eats it like you're spending yeah, all these episodes fucking- like. He's figuring they fucking Janet lead me. He's they fig- Janet lead me. He's figuring out how to overthrow this. He's gonna win. Oh my god. And and how devastating yep. the effect is on his family. And we were watching Citizen Kane, Sarah and I, for um just in honor of Mank and the Oscars and the Oscar show coming up. And the Citizen Kane has this wonderful playing with perspective in that like mm-hmm. you're technically watching the movie through the eyes of a journalist interviewing friends and family of Charles Foster Kane and their accounts. And that is how the book is written. And, and that's the only thing I think the show didn't do very well because like characters like Robert Baratheon and Rob Stark never have their own perspective and you don't learn a lot about them. You learn about what other people think of them. And when they appear, it's always like, holy shit, a celebrity's in the building. Well, now I'm just imagining Game of Thrones like in the office style where like (laughs) now the characters are just talking to camera about their own perspective. Rob's off to war again. Jesus. All right. Uh, But yeah, I mean, talking about when you're spoiler culture, I think is something that 
people, the book community, I think is very sensitive to. Unless they're Harry Potter everyone, fans. Everyone, <laughs> well, Steve oh, Steve <laughs> asshole. <laughs> but, um, but real, I don't think real readers would do that to each other because it's a lot of hard work to read these fucking books. Like they're yeah. long, and it's a lot of flipping back and forth. Not, not between. the, not the first three. The first three are are breezes. They're really. They're much. They're like half the length of the the, the subsequent books. Well, they are. I don't think they're that much shorter. They are. Honestly. They're, they're much much shorter. They're they're a bit shorter. I mean, all of these books, like, I I was kind of reluctant because I just don't really like fantasy. And Me neither. That's why I liked it. What? What? Yeah, but it's it, they slowly had the fantasy creep in to this. I just thought it's going to be like, oh, cool, like War of the Roses. It's a version mm-hmm. of the War of the Roses. That means there's going to be a billion characters and a lot of backstabbing and changing alliances, and that'll be cool. And they just really slowly bring in magic, just little trickles. And at first mm-hmm. you're like, well, that's probably just like myths and legends. It's a religion, right? And then it's like slowly becomes fucking real. And yeah, by the end of it, you're like, oh, shit, all this magical stuff's going on. Yeah, tricked me. Yeah, tricked me. Game yeah, yeah, but I think that's why I bought yeah. into it so quickly, because like other than the dragons in the first book or season, the, the second book is all about like a comet everyone in Westeros is seeing and interpreting in a stupid way, showing that like mm. belief in magic. I don't think that's replicated in the series very well, but like showing how well, what little, little what little place magic has and how stupid it is to believe in stuff like that. And then yes, right. you're right. And then, then like the the red witch and like scale disease and like okay, this is just full fantasy now. But but yeah. I can normally not get into that stuff for the same reason. But that it was I think at its heart we always overlook it's Game of Thrones. This is a political story, a story of mm-hmm. who who takes power, and that's why it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that when that's not at the heart of the show, I think the show gets really boring. And yeah. since in the books are way more guilty of that, I was very happy with the the show deviating from the books because it moved way quicker and. I think renewed its focus and then you get to the yeah. the last but season then, and you're sort of like oh that's why you have all those details and uh, nuance right. and uh, We've, we're moving a little too fast now <laughs> yes. it's it, the highlight reels sh- just becoming the show mm. oh. well yeah. and also but, too, I mean, I mean they run into the creators and the writers of the show ran into the same problem that George Rape Rape Martin has run into <laughs> which is how do we fucking land this thing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, they like, you know, I mean, becoming increasingly obvious as you read the books and as you watch the show that both of the people in control of those stories did not map it out to the end and could not <laughs> figure out how to get there. And that can be a problem when you're making shows like this. And it definitely suffered from loss syndrome because of that. And, and I yeah. think that is definitely why people are don't have as rosy a view of it as they as we all thought we would going into this yes, like it's, the it's, first season was fucking mind-blowing and like sam and i i read about game of thrones getting made by hbo early on and oh like planned, two canceled pilots and shit like uh filming entire mm, expensive pilots and then throwing them away yeah and yeah. so i knew this was gonna be huge i do really like fantasy a lot and so i sam and i actually read the books together like in anticipation of the show oh, awesome. coming up and it was very fun and like especially like sitting i remember sitting together and i would be like 20 pages ahead of him and be like oh <laughs> and he'd be like, what? And I'm like, nothing. I'm going in the other room. And then when he would get to that point, I'd be like, ah, see? Because and yeah, I, I also have to say, we, we were huge, huge fans of the books. 
and I even reading all the appendices and the oh, let me read all about the uh, notes of House Greyjoy, please. And and then like <laughs> our friends the Aarons never cracked one of the books. Know infinitely more about the entire the entire oh, yes. show. It like the television fandom works is is addressed so much better than book fandom that like I, they are they ended up being the experts of our show of, mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones despite us having read the fucking appendices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I used to read G- yeah. George Do- Just... Double R. Martin's blog. I do like Ray Prabe Martin. That is a Sarah thing that I've been using the show for years. She's called him that forever. <laughs> Just a lot yeah. of rapes in the books and in the yeah. show. And it's like, it's like, I it's not even like. It. That's, that's one of the big themes of, of the thing that I liked is that, you know, before all the magic stuff comes in, it's like, yeah, back in the day, things sucked. Yeah. Don't go to Ren Fairs because things sucked back then, especially if you were poor or a woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just kind of have to schedule rape into your day. It's just going to happen. You're going to get murdered. And That's I, just yeah. how it is. It, it fucking it is, sucks. It just in, in the books I read, I think there's like one scene that's written with a rape in it. But in every chapter, I'm like, and then they won the battle. And then those soldiers started drinking. And then they raped a bunch of people over there. It's like, why is this at the beginning of every chapter? Well, like, it's just I mean, a, just a description. What, we is, get it. Uh, this is not a historical novel, yeah. so we don't have to. We could just not do it. Yeah. You could just not put rapes in there. I don't think anyone's gonna be like, you know, I love that book, but there weren't any rapes, and that's so weird. And like, there's, and yeah. there's so I many like the fantasy. And I like demystifying that stuff. It's like, no, things uh, things in the past were terrible. Yeah, that's that's true. And Not they, everyone gets to be the big damn hero. A lot they, of people yeah. get sick and die or have their loved ones killed because they had fewer men and these guys attacked them. Yeah, that happens. But with the specifically with the sexual assault, I mean, it is ultimately a fantasy novel. So we could imagine yeah. it's not a historical novel. So we could just not have that bit or of have a flowery way there. of saying the soldiers then took their spoils end of story hmm. and yeah and, then and i can just imagine they're like <laughs> taking things out of people's pantries like they're all their salted beef and stuff but yeah every other every other chapter in the book begins <laughs> and then like and then the soldiers raped a pile of people over there yeah and like, <laughs> great using but the yeah. r word specifically yeah. uh but, but yeah. game of thrones i can't like, i i got back on board with the show in the fourth season because i really mm. hated uh, the Feast for Crows. That book is awful, and it split up half, half split Westeros in half. Uh, oh, yick! Yeah, and and that it, the fifth season, I believe, is when I got back on board. Like I became a huge Game of Thrones fan again, and watching it peter out like that. And I've read all I, all that I can about it, and I it chalk it up to a little bit of poor story mapping and maybe a little senioritis. These guys mm-hmm. had lucrative Netflix contracts and a Star Wars trilogy to go develop. And like, we're done with this, whether this is done or not. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and then not really knowing where the story was going from the beginning. So they, they couldn't really offer mm-hmm. breadcrumbs of certain characters' arcs because they just didn't know. Uh, there was yeah. no fifth, sixth, or seventh book when the show started. And now there's been a fifth. There's been one book written in the, in the yeah. 10 years. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I feel like tenth anniversary is the best time to like. Yeah. Let's uh, let's let's appreciate what this show is doing. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a ton of good you stuff know, in the show. Even, it's like they they got a lot of good actors. Just the production size and scale is unimaginable. That yep. they're shooting in Croatia and Iceland and Northern England and, and Northern Ireland and the costumes. Oh my god. 
they they would hand embroider and bead everything like even mm-hmm. though it's barely on screen like they went crazy on the costumes yeah I, and i believe i was yeah. reading there's like this booming industry and in these small fucking towns of places where they shot game of thrones now have like fandom tourism industry i don't know that makes me really happy yeah. i love stuff it's like just that like with lord of the rings that's yeah. what lord of the rings did for New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was hoping that like someday we get like a director's cut of the last season that would sort of fix this and re cement it as an important pop culture milestone. It, it just bums me out that like the fandom yeah. sort of washed away in, in like in eight weeks. It was mm-hmm. nobody, everyone hated yeah. it. Everyone then hated the show. And like yeah. Diana said, it's like, it's important to remember the majority of which is good. Very good. Yeah. And Let's remember the friends we made along the way. <laughs> That's the real. Uh, she knows how to get me every time. Yeah. Hot pie. Hot pie. <laughs> we're, we're just thinking about hot pie. <laughs> oh, hot pie. Uh, but yeah, Game, Game of Thrones begins this week. And I, 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 I meant to go back and look. I just don't remember. Uh, I think the first two to four episodes are available for critics to screen. I know I stole them because I didn't have HBO. I don't remember how the world instantly greeted this uh, or if there was... Oh, I think it was pretty instantaneous. Yeah? I think, it was oh, pretty, yeah. It was pretty and instantaneous. I mean, remember, yeah. HBO has been, because I think uh, a couple months ago, I talked about HBO did a first look on Game mm. of Thrones. So HBO has been, like, putting all their money into promoting, yeah. this is going to be huge. This is going to be, like, the biggest thing in the world. And, yeah, it really was. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I loved Game of, like, I loved this show. We mm-hmm. would get together. We would do watch parties and watch it with our friends, the Aarons. Remember and we those? Would just, like, yeah, mm-hmm. it was. We absolutely loved it, but it definitely. I don't know. We're talking about the ten year anniversary of the first episode of the first season, yeah. and mm-hmm. I have nothing but good feelings about that. It was. It yeah. was. It felt it, awesome. It does be- a lot of. It does a really good job considering. Yes. I mean, yeah. this is like the second or third draft. There's a lot to establish. Yeah, you know, oh that, my god, that open the, the opening credits map only gets you so far that they have established how this world works. Here's 80 different characters for you. That's, Here's how they're related. Here's mm-hmm. how they feel about it. That's other. right. The grabber of Ooh. the first episode is the essentially the first the end of the first chapter of the book, which is from Bran's perspective. He sees mm-hmm. two Lannisters, brother and sister, having sex and is thrown from a tower. And that's how yep. the, the show ends with a child being <laughs> thrown from a tower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember reading that in the book. Well, I'm not stopping now. I just got to really love this kid, Bran. And therefore wasn't yep. as disappointed at the end of the show as other people because you really got to love him a lot more in the books and learn a lot mm-hmm. more about him there. Yeah. But it, yeah, that was the grabber of the first episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Oh, yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, well, you have definitely established this is not your daddy's fantasy yeah. franchise. Now you have my attention. I, I'd be interested to see people rewatching it now, like um, mm. for the first yeah. time. Well, and I'm Before. hoping to, I mean, like what you're saying about the budget for the sets and the costumes and everything like we really had not seen anything like that before at least not for a very very long time i feel like i mean like hbo probably the thing that they did before this that would even come close to matching you maybe Rome, as far as which was a co-production of like multiple countries which and, and Rome yeah. was fantastic. I absolutely loved Rome as well. But this gets yeah. me very excited and hopeful, and I'm probably going to be disappointed. Wait, sorry, but for the Wheel of Time series that's coming up, Ooh. I'm really excited for that. That, um, that that's going to be Amazon. That is the other thing. HBO also created this was created in a model before streaming was the way to go, where people would subscribe to HBO and tune in 
at least for 13 weeks to see one show. That is no longer the model. I don't see anybody spending that much money on a show, especially in a model where all your episodes are dumped in one shot. Game of Thrones does not fit the streaming model at all. And we may never see a show this big. I totally disagree. I think it's the exact opposite. If you look at something like Handmaid's Tale or Mandalorian, that is a huge expensive show. Mm-hmm. And they so? roll them out week by week. I mean, there's no location shots. In, there's no location shots in Mandalorian. And yeah, but it's still very expensive. expensive. I, I'm not sure that it is. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it is just the nature of how Disney shoots things. That studio looks very impressive. But like the idea is it's shot in a way to save money as opposed to filming on location. There's still a lot of effect shots. Effect shots well, are true. not cheap. True. Well, regardless, I don't think that serialized television program that come that comes out week after week mm-hmm. i don't think that's dead yet because oh, no, I, I do think that i mean look I, I, at the popularity of handmaid's tale and i think but i think netflix has shifted it to a quantity over quality whereas hbo is like we have two shows at a time we can do this with in a two-month period and that's how they that's mm-hmm. why they'd spend so much money on shows whereas netflix has two new five new shows debut every week and know, it's man. all the episodes so it's it's, it's like HBO's goal was to get people talking about their content, and that happens so much faster now, and to and to get people's mm. subscription money. Yeah, mm. but I mean, look at what's happening with Succession, mm-hmm. which comes out week by week. Like people are dying for that to yeah, come I back. I am. <laughs> Damn it all. And, and that's appointment viewing. I don't know. I, I think that that's still there's still yeah. a place for that. And I mean, yeah, I, 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 hope I have so. I. If we did, if HBO Max wasn't a thing and it was still just regular old HBO, I would still have a subscription for it just so that I could be ready for when Succession comes back. So no, I, I agree. I just yeah. don't. I don't see it this much money being shoved into another show for a while. I really don't because uh, the is game is different. Crazy expensive. I'm glad, Sarah. I'm glad that you brought up Rome because yeah, if you're a Game of Thrones fan who has not gone back to watch Rome, that that show. It really feels like the rough draft. It's yeah. <laughs> it's oh, expensive. It's got a giant cast. It's vaguely inspired by history, mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's got all the sex and violence left in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I damn, I miss Rome. <laughs> Rome was great. <laughs> so, that was Loved a fun it. ass show. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and really fun. To to bring it back to Game of Thrones, and maybe to my point, I don't know, but that there are like nine prequels still on the table, and like extended west that have not moved forward i do believe because of the reaction of the final season because they don't want mm. to spend game of thrones money on a brand that might be dead and well probably between that and covid i mean when you're doing these sorts of productions that involve heavily travel I, and I, production in other countries these, these were these were greenlit materials. these were greenlit over half a decade ago and have not moved for a while. So I, I, I wonder if they're actually going to get, get, and I don't, I'm not a big prequel person anyway, so I'm not dying to see that. I just assumed HBO would have something ready for at least the year after game of Thrones is done. They would have yeah. something else because they've, they've, they, I think they just paid to lock down exclusive rights to any game of Thrones related content again, recently. So it can't go anywhere else. They have to make it or nobody will. And they uh-huh. haven't made any movement uh, in a while. And there are a ton of treatments hmm. out there. Well, hmm. I still want to put out into the universe what I am requesting, mm-hmm. which is an Arya Stark show where it's just a procedural mm-hmm. where she goes from place to place, fucking people shit up and working for the good of humanity. Love, love my Arya. I feel like that would, I feel you, like that would be really fun. <laughs> you want the equalizer starring Arya Stark? <laughs> yes. 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 Precisely. I wanted I to meet love it. I wanted to meet Frodo wherever she went on that boat. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wherever he sailed off to. Uh, Game of Thrones. More... That would be pretty good. The boats just pass each other, and they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Just like wave. <laughs> they're both they're uh... the same. They're the same height. Yeah. So... Owned by the same overlord. They could do it. <laughs> they could they, do it. Uh, they could do it. Well, that that's about it for television of uh, 2011. But for video games of 2011, April 16th to the 22nd, uh, kind of a lot-ish. Uh, Arcana Heart 3, you guys, uh, you couldn't wait for me to say that one. Mortal Kombat, though. That's that's probably the biggest mm-hmm. one for me, which is technically Mortal Kombat 9, but sort of threw away all the weirdo canon. Because unlike Street Fighter, Mortal's been really big on story and having cinematics and endings to characters things that transfer from game to game yeah mortal Kombat's. it's just called mortal Kombat, i believe but tentatively referred to as mm-hmm. nine because 10 and 11 all follow the story from nine uh it's a good place to start too portal 2 is out this week and i cannot Ooh. think of a more man I, it's like is this the last valve game on a console no there's probably a left 4 dead 2 in there somewhere but portal 2 was amazing and has a really great co-op mode you might not know about. It's online is a completely new game that you can't play alone. And you should know that because even I have not finished it. I I got an advanced copy and so did my roommate because we worked in the games industry and we fought to finish the game in one sitting, which is something I don't recommend for anything. Uh, But Portal 2, I just love. Did you end up playing Portal at all, Di? You're you're aware of the Portal. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We all love the companion. Yeah, I mean, it's basically yeah. a puzzle game. So, yes, it's something I'm actually paying attention to and interested in. Yeah, Portal, Portal is, is a, yeah. just a great series. SOCOM 4, speaking of not so great series. Uh, Fancy Pants Adventures is out an XBLA. And again, we'll go more into depth on this on the, on the video game show, patreon.com slash laser time. There's a lot, a couple more obscure things. Conduit 2 was a game I was very much looking forward to, using the Wii to make a powerful multiplayer first-person shooter. No one had really done it yet, and Conduit was our great white hope, and boy, was it almost there. (laughs) There's just so many reasons (laughs) it it couldn't be uh, Halo-like. No HD, online was garbage, and that's not the developers of the game's fault. That's Nintendo's fault. Anyway, that is about it for the show. We have a, a birth and death quiz I really want you guys to stay tuned for. But, you know, listen to Laser Time. We're currently talking about Oscars because we got about two weeks till the Oscar show. Diana and I have done with multiple participants over, is this the 10th anniversary? I can't. 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. Uh, 10 or 11. Yeah. I've lost track. So there's never been a better time to catch up on your Oscar movies because so many of them are already included with subscriptions you already pay for. So why not one more? Patreon.com slash laser time. Maybe I'll throw that Steven Seagal SNL episode up there. I don't know. Is that illegal? You can check us out there. Laser time. Listen to Video Game Apocalypse. Bonus time is a show we do exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. We've been doing throwing movie commentaries up like uh, Ninja Turtles 2. We did a commentary for that with Dave Rudden former host of the show check all that out i'm exhausted die what's up with you well people can follow me on the twitter at listeninerd l-e-c-i-n-e-n-e-r-d or follow the show at 302010 podcast 3020010 podcast and coming up next week we got a bunch of weird stuff we got a couple cult favorites one is oh, i'm so happy about this uh die hard in a boys boarding school yes oh i love that movie so much i love it so much yeah oh uh, alcoholic mouthwash We have the aforementioned uh, adorable, weird French romantic comedy. And we have one. I I watched a trailer for part nine today of this particular series. But we're talking about the fifth episode, which is when it gets good. That has never happened before. No fucking series turns good at number five. (laughs) But this one goddamn does. Get in your car. 
go quarter mile at a time because it's about family. It's about family. In Brazil. <laughs> Stealing shit. For Puerto Rico for Brazil, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait. Oh, I've got to rewatch that. Without it the way, uh, who died during this period of 302010? Uh, yeah, so we lost just, uh, it's all directors this week. Uh, in 1991, oh. we lost Don Siegel, who was 78. He directed Dirty Harry, Escape from Alcatraz, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 50s one. Beautiful. Perfect uh, movie. Then we lost one of, I'm going to circle back to this. It's one of the greatest directors of all time, but we lost Michael Ritchie, who you might not know that name, but he directed some great ass movies. The Candidate, which is totally underseen, Bad News Bears, and Fletch. Damn. All right. Yeah. That's a that's a deep bench of comedy right there. Mm-hmm. And then again, back in 1991, ah, we lost a legend, David Lean, who's 83. Freaking Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai, Doctor Zhivago, Brief Encounter. My my father's right. favorite direc- favorite director, I believe, for my father. Oh, he's one of the most important directors of all time. So you- Besides being an incredible director, he's also ridiculously influential. Mm-hmm. And um, every movie I just listed there is kind of a must watch, even though I know they are really really long. Yeah, Bridge on the River Kwai. Okay. I can watch it from like any point any point in that film. Yeah, that's yeah. just. Just all an amazing fun. film. Whew, all fun. <sighs> so with that depression yeah. out of the way, there were some people who were b- b- born during the b- 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 birthday quiz. Who's born? Oh, birthday is a doodly do, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do. Turning seventy five this week, born April nineteenth, nineteen forty six, in Grappenhall, Cheshire, England. His dad was a chaplain in the Royal Navy, and he died when he was twelve. Uh, he was in the original London cast of Hair. And originated two parts on stage I would love to see this particular actor in. He was the original Amadeus opposite Ian McKellen. And he also was uh, Alan Swan, the Peter O'Toole role in my favorite year. He is perfect for that. I would love to see him as that. How old did you say he was? 75 now. 75. Okay. Also, he was Tim Burton's second choice for the Joker. Cesar Romero. No. Here's some of the things we've talked about. I think we might have missed his 1997 failed sitcom Over the Top, starring him, Annie Potts, and Steve Carell as a wacky Greek chef. (laughs) (laughs) He's also in Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, Fly Me to the Moon, and McHale's Navy. Pierce Brosnan. No. Interesting guess. Rugrats and Rugrats in Paris. He does a lot of voice work. Wow. Also, the Wild Thornberries and Hunt for Red October. Tim Curry, baby. Yes, it was Tim Curry. (laughs) Tim Curry. Sorry that. Wow, he would have been a cool Joker. Holy shit. Yes. Oh, my God. Apparently, they tried him out on the cartoon and said he was too scary. Yeah. I remember. I could see that. (laughs) I could definitely see that. Also, he almost was Jafar and he was almost Scar in Disney movies, which, again, I want him to be all. Would have nailed. Would have nailed. Yes. Uh, We also talked about Adam's Family Reunion, Charlie's Angels, Muppet Treasure Island, The Worst Witch, and It. Huh. Did we not talk about Legend? I remember that being... No. I think we started the show right before we could talk about Legend. Okay. But he is the best Satan ever. Um, I think think you are. the only good thing in that fucking movie. Yeah. Awesome I'm sorry. I hate that movie. I think it's crap. But I love him in it. I love him in pretty much everything. I do. I think he seems like a fun guy. He's one of my favorite mini bosses in history in Home Alone 2. (laughs) <laughs> Hulk has yeah. to fight him to get to the sticky bandits. Oh, I would love to see him as Amadeus back in the day. Yeah. That, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. So, yeah, uh, he had a pretty bad stroke a bunch of years ago. Yeah. Um, so he uses a wheelchair now, but 
he's still it's still working up top voice is still there he, he did a <laughs> he did a uh, a table read of fundraiser for the wisconsin democratic party they did a table read of a rocky horror picture show oh, wow. like last year wow. and he's doing okay so yeah Good. keep going tim curry we love you we need to find roles for him in using the wheelchair yeah. yeah. Unless he doesn't want to. Do he's, 70, he's 75. We've so. got Rear Window. Yeah, let's oh. do Rear Window again. Yeah. <laughs> or Mac and Me with an old guy. And like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, no, he could do as much work as he wants to do. I'll say that. But yeah. we love Tim Curry. And to go out, then, I thought, I didn't realize, he released three albums in the wow. 70s and 80s. Wow. And one of them charted. I Do The Rock, which is pretty David Bowie-ish and not bad. So I'm it's not surprising. Let's let's you know do non Rocky Horror Tim Curry singing. Nice. <laughs> that sounds great to me. Uh, close out with a little Tim Curry, a true uh, living treasure. Love Tim yes. Curry. Uh, thanks you guys so much for listening. Tell a friend about the show. Review us. Star us. Just hit a button that says you like us on your favorite platforms of choice. Uh, take us out, Mr. Curry. Rodney's feeling sexy. Mick is really frightfully bold. Me, I do the only thing that stops me pulling all.